going into the end of the year, a lot of times what happens is we have some goals, right? We want to have New Year's resolutions. And starting off the year, you want to be able to know why you're setting these goals in the first place. Everyone has goals in, in the back of their mind like, oh, I want to be a better person. I want to read the Bible more. I want to go to church more. I want to, I want to exercise more. And you have different goals. But our motivation for those goals matters. And so we're going to explore some of those things this evening. But we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't know where that is, you can ask somebody and hopefully somebody will help you. We'll read the passage, we'll pray, and we'll begin. Verse 1. <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul writing to his buddy, the younger dude in the faith, his disciple, protege, Timothy. And as the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, writes this letter, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, de to, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things." having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word this evening, we pray that you would speak to us from heaven. You would guide us, Lord, in this day and age when people are confused, not sure of what their purpose is here on this earth and what they'll be doing after this life, Lord. We pray that tonight that people would sense your spirit, that people would know that you are God, that people would come into a saving knowledge of you, and Lord, that people that do know you would be stirred up to pursue you, to love you all the more because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a very interesting week, hasn't it? On a number of different fronts. And in our nation, here's the thing. How many of you, by a show of hands, are 18 or older? Okay. Not a lot. Most of you are caught in this weird, awkward position where you're supposed to have an opinion about politics, but you don't actually have the opportunity to vote and express your opinion. So that being the case, I remember when I was about your age, you're probably a little bit more educated than I was. 
because I just didn't care. But at your age, what happens is you're hearing so many different things from so many different people about what you're supposed to believe about the presidential candidates, about the future of our government, the future of the economy. And for the most part, you probably care a little bit depending on who you're hanging out with. Like your friends might care about some issue and maybe your parents are passionate about an issue. And because of that, either you embrace it or because it's not cool because suddenly your parents like it. Now you're like rejected. Or if your friends embrace it, either you embrace their opinion if you really respect them or you feel this need to kind of just reject it. So either way, you're caught in this weird position of you, you have to form an opinion, otherwise people call you ignorant. But the opinion that you form, you feel like it doesn't really matter because, number one, you're not old enough to vote or express that opinion. Or, number two, um, you feel like all those things are for adults or for old people to worry about. And for you, you really just don't even care. You're just trying to figure out how to function through high school. You're trying to figure out how to make it, you know, without failing your classes. So you're like, yeah, I could care about the government, but like, let me worry about that after high school, because right now I'm just trying to get through biology. That being the case, I think you still know that, like, things are happening, aren't they? In our nation, like, I, I have this, uh, this kid I went to high school with. He posted this thing on Twitter. And went, it went viral. Over 32,000 people retweeted it and favorited it about how he was uh, at a gas station pumping his gas, and then someone called a racial slur and said, you know, something about the fact that we're in a new presidency and whatever. He just shouted something out the window. And so he said, day one of this new presidency, you know. And so that is a feeling that many people have. And there's, I think, there's just so much going on, right? And you don't know what to do with it. Like, is this a real threat? Is this something I should be worried about? Is this something I should be concerned about? Or should I just not even care? So, here's the thing. Um, increasingly, I think more and more people are going to force you to make a decision on what your opinion is on these things. As you grow older, or if you are 18, maybe you felt that pressure. You're 18 and you're not registered to vote. And, like, people pounce on you. And so what happens is, and you're going to have this as you're choosing a college too, right? Like, you're, you're like, you just entered senior year and already, or maybe you're in junior year and everyone's asking you what college are you going to. It's like, let me get through high school. Let me get through junior year. Can't I just breathe? And people are just like jumping at you to form an opinion on these things. I think increasingly it's going to be unpopular to be a Christian, right? Because a lot of things that we believe don't make sense to the world. It's just the way it is. Because the world says you should do what feels right. And we say that makes no sense. Because if everyone does what they feel is right, you're going to have fights. I mean, that doesn't even work with children. Like, imagine taking a brother and taking a sister and saying, whatever you feel like doing, do it. How is that going to function? How are, how are you going to be able to just function as a family? If you just tell your kids, like, however you feel like doing, you know, whatever you feel is natural to you, you should just do that. And so we as Christians criticize that. But when you say that, now you're stepping on toes because the world wants to act the way that the world wants to act. You know, the world wants to do what it wants to do. So now what do you do? Well, something that I feel like I'm going to start saying from now on is just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I don't have your back when someone is making fun of you. Just because I don't agree with everything that you believe 
doesn't mean that I'm not willing to lay down my life for you. Because that's actually, if you look at the Bible, that's what Jesus did for us. He said, greater love has known than this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus went beyond that in that he died for his enemies. See, the Christian worldview says, yeah, I disagree with you. And I disagree with all the things that you're saying. But actually, because I love you, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for you. And that is kind of the radical, the radical thing about Christianity. It's not, you know, in, in different religions you have, like, go out there and you, you're so sincere about your faith and it causes you to harm other people. Whereas in Christianity, it's actually you sacrifice yourself for the benefit of somebody else because you love them. And listen, like, if it came down to it, I would take a bullet for someone I disagree with. Like, a person who I believed was innocent, I'd still die for them. Why not? Like, I know where I'm going. I don't really care. But there are people out there that don't know that love and don't know Jesus. And so increasingly, you're going to have more and more people that are opposed to what you believe. But I think now more than ever, this is the time that you as a teenager should go into your school and say, hey, listen, I have a life-changing message. I have something that actually it will fulfill you. And all the things that you're looking for, all the things that you wish were true about this world, I have something that's truer, something that you weren't even looking for. But this thing is the greatest story that you've ever heard and will ever hear. And that's, that's that Jesus Christ came into this world and died for your sins so that you and I could not just go to heaven one day, but we'd have the earth thrown in. And so Paul is warning Timothy in this passage. Timothy being a young dude, Paul the older, older dude, he says what? He says in chapter 4, he says in the latter times, verse 1, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so he says, like, okay, so in the latter days, like the end times, and, and that's kind of a broad range of days, but that's 2,000 years out from, we're 2,000 years out from the time of Jesus, right? So I, I think it's safe to say we're in the latter times. He says there are going to be people departing from the faith, people that are mixing the faith with other religions, whatever sounds good. You know, there's a popular pastor who was interviewed by Oprah. And uh, some of the things that he said, I was like, I don't know if I could defend that. Because, you know, he says things about how, um, well, Oprah was asking him, like, do you believe that Jesus is the only way that you can access God? You know, paraphrase. And he says, no, I don't think so. And like, that alone is bad. And I'm like, oh, am I like trying to rationalize for him? Like maybe he's just trying to say like there's general revelation, direct revelation, whatever. But there's an increasing pressure, right, to just kind of like tone down what you believe. And there's nothing wrong in saying like, hey, listen, if, if we believe that we have the cure to a disease, we should like be bold about that. And not say like, yeah, whatever you do is fine. Like, sure, whatever makes you feel good. No, like I'm saying I think we found the cure. And if you don't think it's the cure, like, let's examine it. Let's find out. Let's test it. And let's see if it holds the weight and if it can actually heal people. So Paul is telling Timothy, like, listen, you're going to have these things happen. And in those days, people are really legalistic. And so, in other words, they're saying, like, what you do makes you a good person. And that's generally what the world believes. You are a good person if you do good things. And you are a bad person if you do bad things. But in Christianity... It says even bad people can be made good because God changes their heart. And you can't even do good things until God transforms your heart. So it's radically different. 
The cool thing about that is it doesn't matter how far away you are from God because God can touch even the worst criminal in prison. And usually the person who thinks he has it all together is actually the farthest from God because he feels like he doesn't have to rely on God. And so what he says is basically there are people in, in those days that said, like, uh, you can't eat those things. And listen, you shouldn't get married because if you're single, you're actually closer to God and you're more holy. Like, none of us believe that, right? <laughs> in our day and age, we don't believe that. In those days, they would say weird things. Like, they would have monks. They would have people that were depriving themselves of pleasure. They would hide away from society. They would inflict their bodies. And they do, do these things because they believe that it made them more holy. And what Paul is saying is like, listen, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make you closer to God just because you're, you're suffering and you're, you have these self-inflictions and, and whatever. But that the true gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he is making himself available to all people. Doesn't matter what you look like, what color you are, doesn't matter what your background is, but God has descended to the lowest of lows, to the people that feel like they could never access God. And he's made that path himself. And so that's the good news. That's the exciting thing, right? And so he says, listen, this is going to happen. And in verse 6 it says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And look at verse 7. It says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Okay, so what he's basically saying here is it is so, so important that we are constantly rejecting the storyline that the world wants us to adapt. In other words, he actually goes as far as, as to call them profane and old wives' fables. How many of you, when you were little, your parents told you, if you keep making that funny face, your face is going to stay that way, right? Like, that's happened. And it's ridiculous, right? But when you're little, you're like, well, it makes you think, right? Like, I don't want my face frozen like that for the rest of my life. Until you're like, you think about it, and you're like, I don't think I've ever met someone like that where their face is frozen like, you know, I don't think I've met someone like that. But when you're little, you don't know that. So it messes with your head. And now you don't want to do that anymore, right? And what Paul is saying is not necessarily like the people back then with Timothy are just like believing these crazy things. Except what he's saying is all those things in the world that are contrary to the truth are just as ridiculous as old wives' tales. As listening to old fables, like things that you'd hear from your great-great-grandma telling you about Santa Claus and whatever, like, these are fairy tales. These are ridiculous, and you need to reject these things. So I think it's important to ask ourselves, what is it that the world is telling us that we constantly believe but is actually ridiculous? And we talked about some of those things in old, like, logic, right? Some of these things that the world tries to feed us are just absolutely ridiculous. Things like, in order to be secure... In other words, in order to find safety in this life, you need to have a lot of money. And so people think like, oh, then maybe your parents have even thought, like, you need to go to a good school and get a really good job and make a lot of money. Because in this economy, you never know what's going to happen, so make a lot of money. But if you go that route, what does that prevent you from doing? It often prevents you from following your dreams, which often involves some form of risk of not having a fallback plan. Like, what if you wanted to be a missionary in Africa? 
right? And you're like, man, it'd be so cool. Like, there are people in the third world countries that, that have no access to drinking water. And I want to go out there, and I want to be able to just help those people. And then everybody tells you, like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. What are you going to do? Like, you're not going to be in school. You'll never go back to college, and you probably won't get a good job. And then you're going to be poor. You'll be homeless, and then you will die. Do you want to die? And you're just like, I just want to help people. I don't know. I just like, I'm sorry. <clears throat> right? But you've bought the lie that security is found in money. And then you look at the Bible, and the Bible's like, yeah, you never know when the economy is going to tank. You don't know when people are going to steal your money. You, money is a false sense of security. Like, you, you have no guarantee. Like, okay, you want to put your trust in money? You have no guarantee you get, you're going to get hit by a car tomorrow. You have nothing guaranteeing you that those things won't happen. So security is not found in money. It's found in God who is orchestrating your life. And that's where your confidence can be found. And so the Bible says things that are contrary, but the problem is we buy into these things all the time. And so that's why it's so, so important that we do what Paul says. He says, listen, exercise is great. Bodily exercise is great. But it only profits a little because it only helps you in this life. Much better to exercise towards godliness. Because not only does that help you in this life, but it helps you in the life to come. Exercise. It's so important to be able to stretch our spiritual muscle, muscles. I'll explain what that means in just a second. <clears throat> I remember I was at a, a friend's house, and there was a period of time which I was like, I was going to the gym, like the regular gym all the time. This was like, I don't know, beginning of college, whatever. I wanted to like drink protein shakes and like creatine, whatever. Like I wanted to, I wanted to look big at some point in time. I know it has not transferred over the years, but it's just... Like, I wasn't even big back then. But the point is, I wanted to be. So I was at the gym all the time, and I had benched, I don't know, something puny. I'm not even going to say it because it's embarrassing. But I benched a good amount for the size I was. <laughs> fast forward, fast forward like two years. I'm at a friend's house, and he has a bench at his house. So I'm thinking, well, surely if I benched X amount two years ago, I will probably be able to bench X amount today. So I'm with my friends. They're like off in the corner on the computer or something. And they're like, you need help? I'm like, no, nah, you need a spot? No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I've, I've benched before. Put on the plates. And then I kind of like get ready, whatever the position is. I'm not really sure anymore because of what happened next. Pushed right on my neck. Just like the whole thing, the whole bar just landed on my neck. And because it was on my neck, I couldn't talk. <laughs> so I'm just squeaking. I'm like, help, help. And then suddenly, like, my friends peek over the corner. Like, and they start laughing. <laughs> they don't help me. They're like, what did you do? I'm just like, I'm just dying. Great friends I had. And so then I start laughing. And that's not helping because when I laugh, I'm, like, shaking. So it's, like, up and down on my Adam's apple, just rolling up and down. And they finally helped me. And like, what were you thinking? I was like, I don't know. I just thought like I could bench things, you know. It's apparently not. The point being, uh, I was not able to bench that amount, right? And the whole thing is, not only could I not bench that amount, but I was going about the exercise 
the entire wrong way because I missed the point of benching. I missed the entire point of exercise. The point of exercise is not to show off how much I can bench, right? The point of the exercise is to burn a couple calories, be in an ideal shape at some point in the future, to be healthy, etc. But at that point in time, I just wanted to prove something to myself. And in the same way, I think with spiritual exercise, many people are crushed because they miss the whole point of spiritual exercise. So what do I mean by that? I mean, like, spiritual disciplines, okay, reading the Bible, prayer, coming to church, fasting, whatever. You look at these things, and then you're like, you set these spiritual goals of like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, like, every day. I'm going to read, like, five chapters. I'm going to memorize these ten verses, and then by next week, I'm going to be a scholar. It's going to be awesome. And I'll, like, look at the atheist in the, in the eye, and he'll just crumble because he'll know that I've read the Bible last week, you know? And, like, that's what we do. And then, like, day one, you're like, okay, I just have to read five chapters today because it's my Bible reading plan. I don't have enough time. All right, tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and then you, like, look at your Bible reading plan, and you're like, I'm three days behind, so I have to read 15 chapters today. And, like, you're just making it depressing. Like, and so we've missed the entire point. And so what's interesting is Paul is earlier talking about like these people that are flicking their bodies and, and they're saying you can't marry, you can't eat certain foods. And they're just, that is old wives' tales. That is the wrong doctrine. And sometimes we buy into that because we believe the wrong thing about why we do this in the first place, why we come to church, why we read the Bible. We believe that doing that makes us a good person accepted by God. And that is false. So let me ask you this. When you miss a day of reading the Bible, how do you feel about that? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like God's going to punish you? Or that God might not bless you because you haven't done your daily ritual? When you don't pray, do you feel convicted in a way that you're just like, oh, man, I'm not really a good Christian? How do you feel when you fail to fulfill those disciplines? Now, maybe you're thinking this, but shouldn't we feel bad about not reading the Bible? I don't know. You tell me. Here's what I'd say. The reason why you would feel bad is just like you're not spending time with a good friend. But you shouldn't feel bad like your friend's going to hate you if you don't hang out with them. Right? That's an unhealthy relationship. Imagine. Imagine I'm hanging out with Joe. And then one day, I have to flake on Joe. And then Joe's like, oh, man, that's a bummer. And I'm like, I know. I'm a terrible friend. And the next time I see Joe, I'm like, oh, I can't even look at him. He's so upset with me. I don't think he'll ever hang out with me ever again. And then there's one time Joe flakes on me because maybe he, you know, he's engaged. He's busy. He has to hang out with Kiana. And then as he does, he's like, yeah, you don't mind if, like, we hang out some other time? Like, I knew it. You're still upset that one time I said I couldn't hang out with you. Like, Joe would probably be like, all right, I'm really not going to be friends with you now because this is exhausting, right? How do you have a meaningful friendship like that? But that's exactly how we treat God. Like, the minute that we do something that disappoints God in our mind, suddenly it's like we are a failure. Now it's over. Now God will never bless us ever again. And that is false doctrine. That is closer to reading your horoscope than it is Christianity. Because reading your horoscope is... Okay, if I do these things, and if I listen to this, then I will get exactly what I want. 
And that shouldn't be your relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says that you are his child if you accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you have allowed him to come into your life and change it, then he's your father in heaven. And you can talk to him as your father. And the cool thing about that is the reason, the motivation that you do this, that you read this, believing that this is God's love letter to us, is just because you want to know him more. You want to fall in love with him more. You want to spend time with him more. And the Bible becomes a, a book that is alive to you. And so here's the thing. The reason why this is so important is because there's such bad narrative going out there in the world. And unless we constantly remind us of what's really important, we're going to get distracted. I mean, it can happen, like, in any relationship. It can happen in anything where you're away from it for a while. Like, it, it can even happen with your favorite food. You're like, you distance yourself from it for a while, and, like, you forgot about it, but, like, you still like it, but then you come back and you have it. And you're like, oh, I've missed this. That's how it should be when we're spending time with the person that we love, when we're spending time with friends. Like, you knew in your head, like, yeah, I think, I think it was good to hang out with that person, but when you actually do, it's like, man, I missed you. You know, you have a great conversation on the phone. You're doing something, and you just, you had a great time. And that's how it should be when we spend time with the Lord. And now maybe you're thinking, but I don't think I've ever had a time like that reading my Bible. I don't think I've ever like woken up in the morning and be like, oh yes, I'm so excited, dig into God's word, yeah. And then you just pray, like yes, praise it, Jesus. And you like break out your, your dad's like Jesus loves me hat and you like slap it on. You're like, yes, I am proud to be a Christian and Ameri American, yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you do that. That's great. I think most of us, though, we kind of identify, like, what if I don't feel like it? Well, here's the thing. The thing is, it's just like exercise. That's what he's saying, right? How many people just, like, you haven't exercised in five years. The thought of exercise exhausts you, right? It's like, I don't want to go to the gym. Do I really want to do this? But then you actually go to the gym you start running for a little bit. You lift some weights. You leave. You're like, I need to do this every day. This is awesome. You feel good. The endorphins kick in, you know. But then the next day, you're just like, oh, I feel terrible. Why did I do that? This is. Here's the thing. You'll never feel that way about Christianity. I have never in my life regretted a time I've spent in God's Word. I've never read the Bible, like spent like, you know, 15 minutes and then, like, man, I could have been, like, on Facebook for 15 more minutes than I was today because I read the Bible. Man, what a waste of time. I've never thought that. And that's the thing is it has value not only in this life but the life to come. Bodily exercise profits, but only a little bit. Whereas if you're exercising yourself, you're disciplining yourself towards righteousness, how productive will that be? This is what Romans tells us in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, he uses this term God-likeness, godliness. And according to Vine's expository dictionary, this word godliness denotes that piety which, characterized by Godward attitude, does that which is well-pleasing to him. So, in other words, Exercise towards godliness means that you're just aiming to discipline yourself in certain ways, abstaining from certain things, and embracing certain attitudes and habits so that 
you can be pleasing to the Lord with your life. You're saying, God, I'm available to you. And here's the thing. So many people misunderstand what fasting is for. People think, and you probably thought this too, what's the purpose of fasting? Fasting mean like in the biblical sense or even in Islam, they have people that fast, Ramadan, whatever. Fasting is to deprave your body so that you can hear God or so that God hears your prayers and God looks at you and is like, oh, man, that person's really righteous and, and whatever. And so that when you pray, your prayers are like more powerful or whatever. The purpose of fasting is not so that God can hear you. The purpose of fasting is so that you can hear God. You're eliminating the distractions. You're saying it's so important that I hear what God has to say that I'm not even going to eat a meal today. And listen, I understand that some people may not be able to do that. I didn't even fast up until like three years ago, ever in my life. And so maybe fasting to you is cutting out the internet and saying I'm going to abstain from like radical idea, ready? Radical Christianity is right here. Don't touch your cell phone for a day. I mean, that's crazy, right? Like, wow, what would my life look like if I did not touch my cell phone for a day? But what if you dedicated it towards God and said, you know what, God, I want you to speak to me today. I don't need to hear from anybody else because this is what happens. We default, and I heard, um, I forgot who it was. Some secular dude was talking about this. We usually default towards whenever we're lonely, we text somebody, right? We just don't even know how to be lonely anymore. We don't know how to just sit there as human beings and just be human. We always have to, whenever we have like a moment of awkwardness, we're in line at the supermarket or at Starbucks or whatever, we have to be on our phones checking something because God forbid we're awkward and God forbid we have a moment of silence. But imagine you eliminate the distractions. You say, God, I want to hear your voice today. And that's kind of what it's like. It's spiritual disciplines. You're saying, I'm abstaining from certain things so I can embrace other things because these things I want to embrace are more important. So fasting is not so that God hears you. Fasting is so that you can hear God. And a lot of times what happens is we fast and we pray and we're saying like, God, I want you to tell me what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. And God's like, well, that's all fine and good. But can we talk about what you did last week? Because I want to talk about that. And maybe not having a preconceived notion of what God is going to say before he says it, you walk in and you say, God, whatever you want to speak to my heart, I want to hear you. I want to sit before you. That's why the Bible says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, let your words be few, right? Like he has a big picture. That's why Job, while he's suffering in the entire book of Job, he never gets an answer for why he's suffering, why these things are taken away from him. But then God shows up and basically takes him on a ride, to a tour for the entire universe and says like, look at all these things. Think about like, I created that thing, I created that. You know how I did that? You don't know how I did that. I'll tell you how I did it. I won't tell you how I did it. And, and Job sees like, wow, God has a perspective I don't have. And so maybe God wants to say things to me that I'm not even thinking about. Don Whitney is a professor at a Southern Seminary, and he says this. The goal of practicing any given discipline is not about doing as much as it is about being. Being like Jesus, being with Jesus. I love that. So some spiritual disciplines, just to give you kind of a list... Things like scripture reading, memorization of scripture, Sabbath rest, prayer, fasting. Those are just a short little list, as well as gathering together and encouraging one another 
Those are some of the things that we can do. And so I'm just going to give you a couple ways that um, spiritual disciplines produce things in the life of a believer. So if you're asking the question, what do spiritual disciplines produce for a believer, here are a couple things. And you might want to turn to Psalm chapter 1 for the first thing. Psalm chapter 1. Center of the Bible, and then go left a little bit. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So a dude who's just like stoked on the Bible, stoked on the law of the Lord, and he's thinking about it, meditating on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So the first thing we see is that as a result of spiritual disciplines in the life of a believer, one of the things that results, that is produced, is fruit. Fruit, productivity. Things that, it says that whatever he does shall prosper. It brings forth its fruit in its season. And so maybe you've been reading the Bible all your life. That's great. Maybe you've been going verse by verse. Maybe you've been going chapter by chapter. Maybe you actually read through the entire Bible and you're a teenager. That's amazing. That's awesome. And you're wondering like, what's like, how I'm going to, I don't know what this is going to do. And you, you may not know right now, but in the future, maybe there's going to be that moment that you're like sitting in front of some, some guy or some girl who's just completely broken, and you get to share a verse with them that you read that morning or you read like five years ago. God brings it back to mind. And whatever you say, like, it's life-giving, and it's exactly what they need in that moment. You don't know. And the important thing to, to see is a smart person says, I'm going to sow seeds now and reap a harvest later. Even the ant, like, the Bible talks about, like, go to the ant, you sluggard. Like, pay attention to ants. Ants are dumb. Ants don't have any brains. I mean, they're tiny, right? Yet ants still plan for the future. Like, we should in the same way be thinking about not instant results, but thinking in terms of long-term results. What is going to bring forth fruit? And maybe you're thinking like, well, I don't see any results right away. Like, same thing with exercise, right? Like, if you work out, like, you do the Ab Master 5000, right? And then after a week, you're just like, nothing happened. So maybe you should be doing it a little bit longer than a week. But we are so used to instant gratification that we're not, we're not a generation that is patient. But imagine you are. Imagine you're a generation that says, I'm willing to wait. I'm fine. That's cool. Imagine you're a generation that allows people to cut them in line. Like, that is a radical idea, right? They're like, sure, you can go in front of me. What? How dare they think that they can cut me? It's like, but why not? I'll put others first because the Bible says whoever's first shall be last, whoever's last shall be first. So I'm just waiting for the person in front to say, hey, you can come to the front. I'm just kidding. But you're, you're looking at the future and you're not looking in the immediate. So it produces fruit. 
It also produces godliness. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So meditation. In, the, in that word, the Hebrew word of meditation is an interesting word. It talks about a murmuring. Same word for growling, actually. And the idea behind that is that in those days, remember, they didn't have take-home Bibles. They didn't have, like, ESV, NLT, things they could just take home in their pocket Bibles, whatever. They had to go to the synagogue and listen to someone read the scroll. So these people would hear the teaching, and they'd be murmuring to themselves what they heard, and they'd be memorizing it that way. So it's constantly on their lips, constantly reciting it. And that's the idea, that we're constantly keeping it in our minds when we're meditating upon Scripture. So Eastern religions teach meditation is empty your mind. Don't think about it. But biblical meditation is fill your mind with good things. Eastern meditation is all about don't think about your problems, just ignore it. Here's the problem. It still exists. Your problems still exist when you ignore them. But biblical meditation is like it doesn't matter what's in front of me. I can confront it because I have God with me. And if God is with me, who can be against me? That's the confidence you have when your trust is in the Lord and not in man and not in yourself. So godliness, it makes you more like God because you're memorizing his word. It's hidden in your heart, and it's transforming you from the inside out. Character formation. That's what happens. You are what you repeatedly do. And as you form these habits, you become a person that's more and more in tune with the will of God. What makes a person lazy? What makes a person lazy? Is it their feelings of laziness? No, it's the fact that they are constantly late. It's the fact that they never do their homework. It's what they do, right? It's the constant repetitions of bad habits that causes a person to say that person is lazy or that person is diligent. In the same way, our character is formed as we constantly build good biblical habits. Also, it builds and results in deeper joy. In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, I love this. On the road to Emmaus, um, we have Jesus who's walking with two followers of Jesus that didn't realize they're walking with Jesus. And the whole time, Jesus is just acting ignorant because the people are like, how did you not hear about what happened? This is after Jesus resurrected from the dead. As he's walking down the path with these two dudes that clearly have no idea it's Jesus. Jesus is like, so, like, what's going on, guys? And they're like, oh, man, have you not heard the things that have happened? And Jesus goes, what things? And then they start talking to him. And then Jesus starts talking about himself using the entire Bible and goes from Genesis to Revelation, preaches the scriptures to them. And what's really cool is in Luke chapter 24, it says, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That is the result of truly digging into the Word of God. Is that you're like, this book is seriously not the same as any other book. This is ridiculous. It's a living book. Like, I don't know if you've ever read the Quran, ever read like the Bhagavad Gita, I can't even pronounce it. You've ever read like the Book of Mormon, and then you read this. There's, there's something different about it. And I'm not just talking about like a, a feeling that you have, although that could happen. But what I am saying is this is a time-tested truth, right? This is, this is the Word of God, and we can talk about an entire other study on how you can trust and know that this is the Word of God. But when you actually know that in your head and you know that in your heart, 
you can sit down and say, like, man, this is what God wants for me. This is what God desires for my life, and he wants me to play a role in his story. So, spiritual disciplines result in a number of different things. We talked about deeper joy. We talked about godliness. It gives you guidance in your life. That's why the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And I think one of the things to just keep in mind, kind of as we're closing this evening, is don't beat yourself up when you constantly don't meet your own expectations. If you make a little progress, great. If you've never read the Bible, like have a consistent habit of being in God's word, read one chapter a day. That's it. I only read one chapter a day of the Bible up until like five or six years ago. Maybe even less than that. Like, and I think I turned out okay. You don't need to read like vast, and, and here's the thing, by me saying that, some of you are like, I read like five chapters a day now. Like, wow, maybe I should read less. No, like everyone's different. But you need to do whatever stirs up your heart for Jesus and let that be your goal. Not being me and trying to, you know, lift 20 pounds when you can, you can only bench 15. I'm, it was more than that, don't worry. I'm not that weak. But your goal should be, I want to just be excited about Jesus. I want to exercise. Stirring up your heart to do it more and more so that you can be the type of person that the world needs you to be. Have you ever thought about that? Like, you're not doing this for yourself. This is solely so that you can glorify the Lord and so that you can go and reach other people. So that by reading this book, you're transformed and you can be a more patient person. You can be a more loving person, more kind person. And you go out into this world that's so divided and you can say, hey, listen, I'd be willing to get your back if ever came down to it, even though I disagree with you. This world needs people that are willing to sit down with them and cry with them, to sit down with them and guide them. And we can be that people as we allow God to speak to our hearts and we cry out to him on the behalf of the people around us. So I would just recommend a couple things if you have a plan for uh, reading scripture. Have the right attitude, obviously. Like I said, you're not going for like a mount. You're going for the experience. Choose a consistent time and location. It's really important that you have a time every single day. You're saying like whether it's morning or whether it's evening, you're saying before, this is what I used to do to trick myself into reading, like forming this habit. I put my Bible on my pillow so that if I forgot, I'd, I'd physically have to pick up my Bible and move it in order to remember. You know, like I wouldn't be able to forget. So whatever you have to do, choose a specific time, location, and make it consistent so that you can build that habit. Just like anything else, just like exercise. Practice true reading. Don't be lazy. Don't skim through it. And memorize consistently. And that's just helpful so that you can constantly be keeping God's word in your heart. Okay, so as I close this evening, I already kind of mentioned that. Like I said, it's so important that we allow the word of God to transform our hearts because this world needs us to be those kinds of people. You know, I was talking to a friend, and um, what's so difficult about it is you have so many people in this world, they're just hurting, you know? Like, you probably know people like this, but people that say things like, I just wish there was a day where I didn't have to cry. And what's so sad about that is, and I'm not trying to minimize any people's difficulties or situations, but there is a way that leads to life. And there's a way out of that suffering. And we have that key. And so for me, it's like, man, we could be a generation that just changes the world. We really could. 
if we just allow God to speak to our hearts and we say, Lord, here I am. I want to worship. I want to be consistent. I want to be at church consistently so that I can constantly remind myself of what is really important. I want to love my enemies. And I, I don't have that heart. You know, there are people I despise, but I want to learn how to love them. God, would you teach me how to love people that I, I don't like? God, would you teach me how to, to do the things that you're calling me to do? How to go in the way that you want me to go? And that's found through prayer, through sitting before God in his word, and sitting amongst his people so that our hearts can be continually stirred up to pursue the Lord. Let's pray.